0: Thank you Bert. Thank you. Uh, good, good evening everyone. Could you turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 11 verse 36. Daniel chapter 11 verse 36 and we're continuing our study of the day of the Lord and the prophetic aspect of it and tonight we'll begin a study of the character and actions of the Antichrist as they're described in Daniel chapter 11 verses 36 to 45 and uh, a great section of the, of the uh, Of the chapter, In fact, the first 35 verses of Daniel chapter 11 have been uh, fulfilled in minute detail. When we do the book of Daniel, (laughs) I think after we do 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, we come back to the Old Testament, I think we're gonna do Daniel or or maybe do Daniel in Genesis, I don't know, but Daniel's incredible. So the first 35 verses of the chapter have been fulfilled in history, and then uh, verses 36 to the end of the chapter have not. Nothing corresponds to it in history. And we'll talk uh, a lot of things. We'll be talking about the character and actions of the Antichrist. We're talking about his troop, his his movements militarily uh, during this time and in the Middle East. And uh, it's just—I think you'll really enjoy it. It's going to be fascinating study. So tonight we'll be looking at verse 36 exclusively tonight. And of course, this will take us into Daniel 7, probably Daniel 9:27, and also probably Revelation 13. And um, Probably maybe Matthew 24 as well. So, those passages and this study of the Antichrist and this, the, 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 this part of the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, second advent, will be in Daniel 9 27, Romans, uh, Revelation 13, Romans 20, uh, Matthew 24, I keep saying Romans, Matthew 24, and uh, in Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel 11 36 through 45. Those are the big passages when we talk about the tribulation period, the seventh week of Daniel, and the second advent of Christ. So, got a fine class ready for you. And, uh, you know, Bob, I was thinking of that, that type of cancer your friend has. Kenny had a different one. It was a different type of lymphoma thing. It was super aggressive. Hopefully, his is not aggressive. But, um, again, he, my brother Kenny was, used to be uh, at hazardous waste. And so, I, I heard some stories about him. You know, when you're young, you think he can go do anything. So, and I, I remember when he got he got, he got that day he came over to our I was staying with my parents as I said, and he comes over I said when did you, he said he's got kids I said when did you can't find that out he goes today, so he came down that day to, to see us and I said it was your job, wasn't it I said because I remember the day he took that job, I was like that's a dangerous job it was you know it was right they, they didn't know a lot as they know now back then in the early mid eighties so but it is what it is. It is what it be. Can't do anything about it now. So we'll keep your friend in prayer. And uh, so without further ado, nice, beautiful day. Isn't that great? I can't wait to start playing golf. <sighs> I, know, I, bet you, I bet you Kurt's not here tonight because you know why? Because he's out probably playing golf right now. You know, we're just finishing up that guy. We'll have to find out. And uh, so anyways, and uh, good to have Mrs. Peek back. I'm going to call you Nails Okay, you're tough as nails. So, uh, you are, and both of you are. So, all right, let's get right to it. Let's take a moment of silent prayer. You all know what to do. So, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, another day to study your word, your almighty word, which is alive and powerful. We thank you so much, Father, for all the great blessings that we have as citizens of these United States and all the freedoms that we have. And, Father, as you know, uh, we're we are having all kinds of trouble in our country. And uh, and so I just uh, we lift up our nation, Father, and our leaders, and we just pray for this next upcoming election. In our country, and also I pray for the church in America, would uh, would uh, be uh, on alert and live with a sense of urgency and be praying, interceding in prayer for our leaders, which are who are under attack in our nation from Satan and his kingdom. And so, Father, just uh, pray, Father, for them. And uh, I also pray, Father, that you'd raise up people uh, in to influence their policy making. And uh, we know that we've had. Terrible rulers of the past, and you had the great saints like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did mighty things. Jeremiah, and uh, so we know you could raise up men and women uh, like Esther to uh, influence uh, the kings and the rulers of this world. So we just lift up our nation at this time, and I also uh, thank you for all the spiritual blessings that we have because we're in union with your Son. Jesus Christ and that we're members of his body and the future, his future bride and resurrection bodies. We thank you for the great plan that you've given to us to grow up to become like your son, Jesus Christ, in thought, word, and action. And I pray, Father, that you'd help all of us to live with a sense of urgency in this day and age. We have a tremendous opportunity and privilege to uh, make a mark in this, in this country uh, for the Christian gospel and for your son, Jesus Christ. We just pray, Father, that uh, all of us in this ministry would be living uh, with a sense of urgency and the sense of living each day, moment by moment, in light of the fact that we could be uh, receive our resurrection bodies at the rapture, which is imminent, or it could be our physical death. We don't know how, many, uh, how much time we have on this earth, and we like it that way, Father, because it helps us to maintain our priorities and keep a, have a sense of urgency. So I just pray, Father, for that. I pray, Father, that uh, thank you for everyone here this evening that uh, has taken time out from their busy work weeks and, uh, and families. And I just pray, Father, for each person tonight would be built up and edified spiritually, help each person in the audience through the Spirit to learn and understand and to concentrate and to carefully consider the passages and principles that we be noting here this evening as we study uh, the character and actions of the Antichrist. And uh, we just pray, Father, that as a result, your people would uh, receive the necessary spiritual nourishment and would be built up again, as I said before, spiritually. And I also pray that you would help me to be uh, your your instrument tonight, help me to be uh, humble and sensitive to the Spirit's guides and direction and to communicate uh, this subject tonight with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power, so that your people could receive the necessary spiritual nourishment because your word says that man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out of your mouth. So, Father, we pray for this uh, lesson in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Now, uh, we see in the world today, uh, and you, you see it in a lot of uh, the intelligentsia of the world in this country, colleges and universities and, and government and uh, the geopolitical uh, scene in the world today, and this has been going on since the Cold War, uh, we see that the world is actually today is, is, is ripe the rise of a man with his world government as an answer to international problems. Uh, prominent world leaders and, uh, and movements have posed the idea that we, what we need is a world order with a charismatic leader who can mold the world into harmony and peace. And this is what a lot of people in, in many parts of this country and around the world are looking for. Uh, in his book written in 1973, The Day the Dollar Dies, Uh, Willard Cantillon quotes a number of world leaders to this effect. He writes, Harold Urey said the only escape from total destruction of civilization will be a world government. Robert Oppenheimer, you know him with the bomb, Robert Oppenheimer stated, in the field of atomic energy, there must be set up a world power. Arthur Compton added his word, world government has become inevitable. Dr. Ralph Barton Perry of Harvard said years ago, one world government is in the making. Uh, Whether we like it or not, we're moving toward a one world government. And then Professor Hawking he wrote, therefore, the alternative is that we vest all political power in one agency and resign that power ourselves. And this is coming. It's already in the works. You can see it going on uh, in our country where uh, in upper echelons, I've I've heard it from several uh, credible sources in upper echelons in the intelligence, like CIA, they don't believe in the Constitution of the United States. That's shocking. Okay? There's a lot of people uh, that do not in this country that are in power that don't believe in the Constitution. And you can see how they get around the Constitution. And that's, our, that's, our, uh, that's, our, uh, that's the way we, that's, we're a nation of laws, and they don't believe in that. And they're undermining it as we speak. And there are a lot of people. Who are uh, They have socialist and communist um, background and influences in their life, and they, they, they're trying to undermine our country, and they want a world government. They want That's why the United Nations is being used by people to basically give away the sovereignty of nations and hand it over into one, uh, one person, and that's what's coming. But this can't happen until the church is gone till they can't really come to fruition with us with this wooden world dictator as the Antichrist will be and but uh, when the church is gone they will have free reign there's two with well, the Christians around and in particular uh, Christians who are positive to Bible doctrine they're learning and they're applying and their you know their perception metabolization application they're invisible heroes they're working toward growing up spiritually and they have a great impact in their culture and their nation and their internationally and in the angelic realm, and that's, and that's very important. And there, that, being a part of that small remnant of faithful believers, pivot, as many of you know, is ex- absolutely essential to keep this country going, and also uh, for the world. I mean, there's a, uh, as being, a lot of my stuff with the Internet, and I, I get to uh, converse with people all around the globe. There is a lot of positive religion in other parts of the globe. And, uh, you know, there's still the, the nation that still is downloading my stuff, our stuff, in our, far as our ministry is concerned, it's still the United States. But there are other nations, and even the Pacific Basin, uh, it, it, you see that it, there's a, a lot of positive ocean in the world. And so uh, the people love the Word of God, which is, is great. So all of those people... Including us here in America, those Christians that are faithful to the Word of God, uh, we see that we're the reasons why Satan can't be uh, can't manifest his man, uh, because the church is the salt of the earth, and I'm talking about this church that is positive to the Word of God, that's not obeying God's word. Those are the people are making an impact and, he, and mucking up the waters, mucking up the, everything for Satan and his kingdom. So he can't he can't get his guy into power until we're out of the way, and that's imminent. That's imminent. And there's a lot of things that, you know, we can't date set with a rapture. But I'll tell you right now, it's a heck of a lot closer than it was 2,000 years ago when the first century church was waiting for it. And they were waiting for it any time, too. So, uh, and look at the impact that they made. So, I, I would just say that, you know, we have this, this uh, attitude in the world, in our country, where we want to... You know, especially in America, you see going away from the Constitution, going away from the sovereignty of this nation, and uh, and what we what we stand for, and it's a dangerous situation, and it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. I was talking to this guy. He was a Navy guy last night. was having a cigar with him. And, uh, and he, we were just talking about the culture. And it's like, and it's going to get worse. I said, it's, it's getting worse. I'm not saying that to be negative or try to make a, to get you um, to sell tickets or something to get people to listen to me. It's the truth. Everybody knows this. And innately, people in this country know it's heading for a disaster here. And it's from credible source sources that people say this is a disastrous situation that's on that we are facing now in this nation. So the thing is, you need to know is that how impactful you really are, and that you know th- we talk about what the politics and all that stuff. But really, what the, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sits on the right hand of the Father, who is waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet, he's his bride, the church. Us, we're the ones that are the, the big story in the world today. When we're gone, it's a different story. But now we have a chance to, uh, it, despite great odds, especially in our country, against great odds, we can make a great mark for God and his people, just like Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Jeremiah, that small remnant in the southern kingdom of Judah that survived the Babylonian invasions. Think about that, deported to another nation. I and mean, there's so you know this this one world government is on the rise it's going to happen and they got they have uh, the, uh, the the tools to do it right now and it could just come together really quickly uh, the, the final stage of the Roman Empire, and it's just the case of us being removed from the scene. So we're going to be looking at, as we can see with this uh, char- uh, slide on the board, we're going to begin a study of Daniel eleven thirty six 36-45, which talks about the character and actions of the Antichrist during the last three and a half years of the 70th week of Daniel. And so, which is, uh, which is uh, again, uh, still yet future. And so, Daniel 11, chapter 11, verses 36 to 39, presents a description of the character and actions of the Antichrist during those last three and a half years of the 70th week. So, without further ado, let's take a look at Daniel chapter 11, and uh, we'll look at verses, th- verses 36 to the end of the chapter. Daniel eleven thirty six, 36. The king will do as he pleases. Now, stop for a second. Uh, before we go any further, the first 35 verses have been fulfilled in history. The king of the north uh, is actually the Seleucid Empire, okay? And, and the king of the north the Seleucid Empire. Right? What's the Seleucid Empire? Well, remember Alexander the Great, uh, he is the, thir- the third beast in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, he is the legs in, the, in, in Nebuchadnezzar's image in Daniel chapter 2. So the, when he died, Alexander the Great died. Okay, after making a remarkable achievement uh, with his uh, Greek Empire and conquering the world and going as far as into India and stuff, when he died, at untimely, left death. Like you get, from the human perspective, of course, uh, he died of alcoholism. It appears, but when he died, they divvied up his empire with four generals who were actually uh, actually pr- pr- uh, prophesied about in Daniel chapter seven. Okay, uh, so the four heads of that beast. So those four. Rulers, those four generals divvied up his empire, and then there was uh, so, uh, Seleucid, and we uh, we see that uh, Ptolemy. So Ptolemy, uh, he went; he was Egypt. Okay, he took to Egypt. Whereas the, uh, Seleucid, the Seleucid Empire was what we call today as Syria. Okay, very important. So the king of the north, and Daniel 11, 1 through thirty five, is actually talking about. So what we would know today is Syria, and, and, and the, the, the geographical boundaries are a little bit different than it was today. But primarily, Syria and these other satellites around her today. So that was this. That's the king of the north in that passage, and the king of the south is Egypt, run by the Ptolemies, they call. Them. Okay, so when we get to Daniel eleven thirty six through forty five, we see that the king of the north uh, is the king of the south is still Egypt, and the king of the north is still. Uh, what we recall today Syria So uh, where the Seleucid Empire Was sta- sta- uh, stationed at that time That's very important because uh, A lot of people in this passage when they see the king of the north They think it's Russia Has nothing, contextually There's no, uh, If you follow the, uh, a good hermeneutic uh, The king of the north is still Going to stay, the, the, the northern kingdom Is not going to be Russia in this passage In verses 36-45 It's going to be the same as it was In the first 35 verses So that would be Syria today Okay. Syria, it's interesting. Syria, China, uh, and, uh, and other nations of the Far East, they're going to wage war against the Antichrist. You also see uh, that also in this passage, Egypt is sitting on a gold mine. A lot of people don't realize this, but they have a lot of, uh, they have a lot of wealth, though they're a very poor nation. Antichrist is going to seize that. He's going to defeat Egypt. But he says in this passage, uh, the, the angel of Daniel, he says that Edom, uh, Ammon, and Mo- uh, Moab which would be today what we call the kingdom of Jordan, will not, not be defeated by the Antichrist. They're going to be, he'll be fighting them, waging war. So a lot of people don't understand, there'll be pushback against the Antichrist. There's going to be conflict, and they're going to be fighting each other right down to the time Christ comes back in the second advent. So the Middle East and, and Israel will be decimated. There's going to be a ter- tremendous, the most, the most difficult, worst time in all of history because uh, we have not only is God pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world with those seven-sealed trumpet and bowl judgments. But also we have Satan cast out of heaven during the midway point of the tribulation when Antichrist breaks the treaty with Israel and deifies himself. We see that Satan and the fallen angels are thrown out of heaven by Michael and the elect angels. And you have the wrath of the devil there for those last three and a half years, and he's going to persecute Israel like nobody's ever seen in, in, in history. And so this is very, very important. So the Jews, you know, there's a, if it's, in fact, it's interesting. You see a lot of people, uh, and, uh, the Jewish people in, in, in high places, they're very, very, very concerned about the rise of anti-Semitism. You read things about Harvard. It's unbelievable because you have all these people from overseas They come from, you know, the Palestinian area with Israel, and they're coming over here, and it's incredible the conflict that's going on over there, over the Arab-Israeli thing. So they, what there was going on over there is spilled over to our country. So it's a disaster, okay? Pray for the, pray for the New England area because it's getting overrun with these migrant things. Oh, it's crazy. So anyways, you have Israel is going to be uh, decimated and the world's population is going to be decimated during that time. In fact, uh, as the Lord says, if he didn't come back when he does it, the second advent with us and the Old Testament saints and resurrection bodies, tribulation of martyrs and the elect angels, uh, no flesh should be left alive. The human race would be extinct. Okay? Because Satan would like to destroy the human race. People don't realize that. Why? Because we're in the way. Because remember I told you before, we call Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 2. You and I, Gentile church age believers, are united with Jewish believers and we're all united to Jesus Christ. Okay? So we're the new humanity that's going to rule over the works of God's hands and restore mankind back to its rightful place as the ruler over creation because that's the way we were designed for the human race. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. But because of the fall, Satan is the god of this world and the whole world is under his power. So we got to be aware of that too. The reason why our country is going the way it's going and the other countries of the world, the way this world is going to a one world government that is because there's a, f- a fallen angel, the, the, the wisest creature ever come from the hand of God, the ra- wisest moral creature, rational creature that God ever created. He is running the show down here. And that's what you've got to expect this kind of stuff going on. You're in a war. You're in a conflict. You're in b- behind enemy lines. And this is very important. We pay attention to these things. So you and I are under attack. Yes, is he trying to get Israel, Satan? Yes, He's trying to destroy the church, too. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Our f- Flesh and blood is not our enemy, human beings. It's not the Democrats, not the Republicans, not the Independents, not the Gays and the Liberals. It's not the, the conservatives. It's not the blacks. It's not the whites. It's not the Chinese. It's not the Russians. It's Satan and his kingdom. And that's why we have the problems that we're having, and we're all sinners, which he plays to, our sin nature. Our flesh. So we have this uh, tremendous so we are we're gonna judge when we come back in the second advent of Christ. Remember Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6 3, don't you know you're gonna judge angels? So the Satan in his kingdom is trying to is fighting a two-front war. One trying to take us out, and then he's trying to take Israel out, so that Christ can't rule over, fulfill prophecy and rule over the nation of Israel and be head of the nations for a thousand years. So this is what we get going on. So it says in Daniel 11.36. Now this king is somebody that nobody's ever seen before in history because of the contents of verses 36 to 45. Nothing corresponds to it. So therefore this king has got to be in the future. We'll talk a lot about that and why that is. So the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and it talks about his absolute power. And he will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and he will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honor a god of fortresses he 'll be in love with the military industrial complex he 'll be its greatest champion, and every nation has a military industrial complex. every nation needs one. Our nation needs one, and it 's very important We're not, you know we' got be killed we always have to be ready. look at what happened to Pearl Harbor. We learned our lesson from them from that point. he will we'll always be prepared after World War one. we disbanded our army not a good idea. He will honor a god of fortresses, a god unknown to his fathers. he will honor with gold and silver with precious stones and costly gifts he will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god and he will greatly honor those who acknowledge him he will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price at the time of the end the king of the south and that would be egypt will engage him in battle and the king of the north what we would take know today is syria and its satellites uh, will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships from the north and the south, be, they'll, be trying to, uh, uh, they'll be attacking the Antichrist. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood despite the attacks. He will invade the beautiful land, as we'll see, that's Israel, of course. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon, which today would be in the location of the kingdom of Jordan, will be delivered from his hand. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt with the Libyans and the Nubians and submission. Now, there's a lot of people, I believe, uh, that uh, know about this wealth in Egypt. I'm, I'm sure of it. But uh, we'll talk about that when we get to this verse. Verse 44. And he's going to use this to bankroll. The Antichrist is going to use this to bankroll his one world government. So then it says, but, and, and, and fund his, his military. But reports from the east and the north will alarm them. Alarm and as we'll see, the east is talking about the Far East, China, read Revelation 16 as we will. And so you got Syria and its satellites and, the, and China and Korea probably and Japan all coming across the Euphrates River that will be dried up at that time. So, but reports from the east and the north will alarm him and he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end And no one will help him. And if I may, let me give you my translation of these verses, which reflects my interpretation, which I'll be explaining during the course of these next few weeks. Then a unique king will do according to his desire. Consequently, he will exalt himself so that he will magnify himself above every deity. He will also issue extraordinary statements against the true God. However, despite this, he will succeed until the righteous indignation related to the end is completed because that which has been decreed in eternity past must take place. Also, he will have absolutely no respect for the gods of his ancestors as well as the one desired by women. Likewise, he will have absolutely no respect for each and every god because he will magnify himself above all. Verse 38, but instead of this, he will be characterized as honoring a god, which is the capturing of fortresses, which is a god his ancestors never had knowledge of. His ancestors were the Romans, because he's a Roman. He'll be characterized as honoring this god uh, with gold, with silver, and with precious stones, as well as valuable commodities. Furthermore, he will take action against the strongest fortified cities with the help of a foreign god to those who cause him to receive recognition, he will cause honor to be increased so that he will cause them to rule the masses. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. So he is a tremendous politician and a military genius. Also, he will distribute land for a price. <clears throat> and then we have verse 40. He says, now, during the end time, the 70th week of Daniel, the last three and a half years, the king ruling the south, that would be Egypt, will cause himself to go to war against him. Also, the king ruling the north, Syria and her satellite, satellites, will cause himself to storm against him with a military chariot crew, with a cavalry, as well as with a large armada of ships. However, despite this, he will wage attacks against countries so that he will overflow, yes, pass through like a flood. Verse forty-one: He will even rage, a wage, excuse me, an attack against the beautiful land Israel. Indeed, many will be defeated. However, th- these will, for their own benefit, escape from his power. Edom, as well as Moab, and in addition, the leadership of the citizens of Ammon. Verse 42, yes, he will exercise his power against countries with the Egyptian people by no means being able to escape. He will even be in control over hidden treasures, namely their gold as well as their silver, indeed over all Egypt's valuable commodities. Also, the Libyans, as well as the Kushites, will be under his control. However, reports from the east, that's the far east, Uh, as well as the north, Syria, will alarm him. Consequently, he will march out in a great rage in order to kill, yes, annihilate many. He will even pitch his royal tents between the seas on the beautiful holy mountain, uh, the Mount uh, of Olives. However, despite this, he will come to his end with absolutely no one to help him. So the elect angel uh, continues to to communicate uh, with Daniel in this chapter uh, this prophetic revelation from God regarding the, his prophetic program for Israel during the times of the Gentiles. Uh, very important. Uh, what is the purpose of this time? Well, we, we, we saw the, the six-fold purpose of Daniel, uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel uh, in, 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 in verse 24 of that uh, prophecy. And so it's to the, it's the fulfill the, uh, finish off the, the corporate uh, sin of the nation of Israel. The majority of re- rejected Jesus. And then you also bring in the millennial reign and fulfill prophecy. But also the seventy weeks prophecy is actually the time in which God's disciplining the nation of Israel. The reason why Israel has so much trouble is God's disciplining her. Why? Because she rejected her Messiah, and so uh, and also it goes all the way back to the law and God warned them through Moses when he in his farewell address. Uh, farewell addresses are a very important thing to listen. I wish our country listened to George Washington's read his farewell address or Dwight Eisenhower's. When he left office, uh, very, very prophetic. And listen to the, listen to them because they have uh, some wisdom to impart to our nation. Uh, but we go back to Moses. He's the, he's, he's the leader, great leader of Israel and he's about to die and hand the baton off to Joshua. And in Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30, he warns the Jews, God does to, to Moses, that if you're unfaithful to me, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to remove you from this land and disperse you throughout the nations and I will kill you off. I'll leave a small remnant, but I'm going to kill you off. Why? Because they were given more privileges than the Gentiles were, more than any other nation. the the law, the tabernacle worship, the temple worship, the Messiah would be a Jew, the Old Testament scriptures, uh, the the unconditional promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and and Jeremiah, with the uh, Abrahamic, Davidic, Palestinian new covenants. And they were given so much, so therefore, to whom much is given, much is required. And then, so they have, from back then, God warned them, but if you obey me, I will bless you. But the the whole history of the nation of Israel is one of unbelief. And only God always sets aside a remnant of faithful believers in Israel, even today, the Messianic Jews, and every dispensation and every generation of every dispensation in the history. And this will continue all the way to the second advent of Christ. At that time, there'll be a, a national regeneration of the nation of Israel. The majority of Jews will believe in Jesus at that time when they've lost all hope and they start turning to them. They're going to be totally deceived by the great deceiver whose, whose father is the devil, Antichrist is going to deceive them into thinking he's their benefactor like the United States has been since World War II. Or you, can put, you can go back before they even started in World War I with the Balfour Treaty. So you have, so you have this, uh, this situation here where uh, the, the times of the Gentile, uh, they run coterminous with the 70 weeks of Daniel. Okay? So the times of the Gentiles began with Nebuchadnezzar's invasion and, and destruction of temple in Jerusalem and, uh, and, and, and the city of Jerusalem was destroyed with those three invasions of the Babylonians of the southern kingdom, 605, 597, 586 BC. That started the times of Gentiles and it's running coterminous right now with the 70 weeks prophecy. That Times of the Gentiles means the Gentile nations, they're the superpowers of the world and Israel is a second rate power to them. And that's what we've seen. So the reason why we, the, Israel is going to have continue have problems... In fact, she's coming to a worse time. Jacob's trouble is coming. And it's going to be when the church is removed that that will take place. So the elect angel here in Daniel chapter 11 verses 36 to 45... He continues to communicate to Daniel this prophetic revelation from God... Regarding his prophetic program for the nation of Israel during the times of the Gentiles. Now here in verse 36... The angel's first prophetic statement is that a unique king will do according to his di- desire. Now this language was used to describe Alexander the Great in Daniel 11:3. It was used of anti- to describe Antiochus Epiphanes IV and the 4th in the 2nd century BC and Daniel 11:16 and in each instance it refers to the absolute political and military power of these two individuals. Now, here in Daniel eleven thirty six, 36, this first prophetic statement speaks of the absolute political and military power of this unique king. So, if you read Revelation and those 10, uh, 10 nations that were with the Antichrist, the United States of Europe, they give their power to him. So, again, the world, many nations, this was the big fear that when the United nations came into existence, of nations handing over their sovereignty. And I believe that there are elements in our, in our country, powerful elements, that are actually trying to undermine the Constitution, undermine our nation, go around it, and basically give our, give our sovereignty over to, to a, a consolidated power under one man. And that's what they're looking to do. So here in Daniel 11.36, this prophetic statement speaks of the absolute political and military power of this unique king. And those quotes I gave you are describing what they, many of the, the intelligentsia or the politicians are looking for in this country. And uh, so therefore, we see the character and actions of this king described in Daniel 11.36-45 do not correspond to any king in history. But rather corresponds to the descriptions of the character and actions of Antichrist during the seventieth week, which are recorded in Daniel chapter seven, Matthew chapter twenty-four and twenty-five, and Second Thessalonians two and Revelation thirteen. In other words, people, we see that the description of the character and actions of this king that is described in Daniel eleven thirty-six through forty-five correspond to the prophecies of the Antichrist and Daniel seven. Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians chapter two and Revelation 13. So the king here in Daniel 1136 does not refer to Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He's prophesied about in Daniel 11 and in Daniel eight. He's a type of the Antichrist, but he doesn't fit the bill. Those who believe, <clears throat> those who believe that this king in Daniel 1136 is a reference to Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who was a seleucid king. Uh, the king of the north, in that passage. So those who believe that this king is Antiochus, uh, in the, uh, who lived in the second century B.C., argue that by stopping the sacrifices and offering a pagan sacrifice, Antiochus fulfilled the prophecy in Daniel eleven thirty six that this king will magnify himself above every god and speak monstrous, monstrous things against the god of gods. So some argue that when Antiochus, the Epiphanes, gave himself the title, God Manifest, that's what he did. God manifest, he gave him that title. And he, they think he fulfilled this prophecy in Daniel eleven thirty-six when he gave himself that title. However, they're wrong. Antiochus did not set up an image of himself to be worshipped or demand the world worship him as well, and, uh, which will be the case with Antichrist, according to Revelation 13 and other passages. All he did was simply set up a, a, an image of Zeus, the Greek god. Okay, they were the Greeks, okay? And so we see that the prophecy and Daniel chapter 11, verse 37, that he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers was not fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes IV because his policy was to compel the Jews to worship the god of his fathers or be executed. See, when Antiochus Epiphanes came in the second century BC, what was going on in the world is that Greek... um, Greek uh, thought, language, culture, religion was coming into, the, into Israel. The, the hard rights, uh, the people who wanted to maintain their national identity, they didn't want Greek culture, religion into the Israel, okay? You hear the Maccabees? The Maccabees, read 1st Maccabees, 2nd Maccabees, 3rd Maccabees, those are the people that actually were trying to defend the way of life uh, from this influx of Greek culture and language and religion into the, into the nation of Israel. So they pushed back, and they were great. Uh, so they, uh, when Antiochus went in there and did what he did, uh, he was not, his actions did not correspond to what is being described here and Daniel eleven thirty six 36 through 45. And only one person in Scripture fits the bill, and it's someone who's yet future, that future Roman dictator, Uh, of the final stage of the Roman Empire. So the prophecy in Daniel 11.38 that he will honor the God of fortresses, a God whom his fathers did not know was not fulfilled by Antiochus because he was actually devoted to the God of his country, which was Zeus, who was the God of his fathers. Furthermore, the king mentioned in Daniel 11.36 is clearly distinguished from the king of the north who is mentioned in Daniel 11.40. And we know from history that Antiochus Epiphanes IV and Daniel eleven twenty one 21-35, that's the prophecy about him, which has been fulfilled by him. He's the despicable king of the north. So in Daniel eleven thirty six, the angel communicates a second prophetic statement, which presents the result of this unique king, the Antichrist, achieving absolute military and political power. And the angel declares that this unique king who we know is going to be the Antichrist, will exalt himself so that he will magnify himself above every deity. Therefore, he will become arrogant as a result of achieving this power. Also, he will deify himself as a result of becoming arrogant, as a result of achieving this power. In other words, the angel is telling Daniel here that this unique king, who we know is the Antichrist, the little horn, this, the man of lawlessness, will become arrogant as a result of possessing such enormous power, which will lead him to deify himself. So uh, we see this person, there's no, going to be nobody in history like this guy. And as I said before, if we, uh, we, we, we probably have time to go do it. And We saw it last week. Revelation 13. You got two beasts. The first beast is talking about the first 10 verses. Then you have the false propheties, the second beast. Uh, the first beast is the Antichrist, and it describes what he does. In, he, he's, he's assassinated. Okay, he's dead, and it's a counterfeit resurrection. He's brought back to life. Now, this is going to make him feel invincible, and that's what's going to lead to him being deifying himself. Because if you look at the text and the, and the chronology there, that's the really and that's what's really going to get him off on deifying himself. So, again, you, Revelation 13 is fascinating because you have the satanic Trinity. You say you have, you have the devil who's trying to imitate the Father. You have the Antichrist trying to imitate Jesus Christ. And then you have the Holy Spirit is being imitated by the false prophet. Remember, the, the Holy Spirit promotes the worship of Jesus Christ. And so the false prophet is trying to promote the image of worship of Antichrist with that image that he's going to set up and they have the world worship it. And, uh, and so, so we have, then he has, he's assassinated and he's dead and he comes back to life. That's a counterfeit resurrection. So it's amazing. You know, remember it says in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, describing the fall, not of uh, the king of Babylon, but actually uh, the, uh, the devil himself. He wants to be like God. People don't realize that. He wants to be like God. It's very clear. He wants to be like God. He knows he can't be better than God, but he wants to be like God in the sense that he wants people to worship him. And he thinks he, he should have the option of having a rival kingdom, and God's proving him to him right now that ain't gonna happen. It's my house, okay? I own this place. I own the time, matter, space continuum. You're gonna do it my way eventually, okay? And I, it's gonna be by force eventually because you won't bow down, and you're arrogant. And I'm gonna deal with you. I'm gonna put you in your place, and that's the end of it. Because you will not worship me. I'm I'm God, okay? I I created you. You're a creature. So this is, he's trying to tell, you know, that, and it's funny, the world, if you look at the world today, and you look at the world, it reflects the devil in his standards, you know, we deify entertainers and musicians, we do, and it's fascinating, especially in our country, what a joke. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Musicians, we deify the Beatles and Elvis. I mean, they still, you know, like Elvis is like still a daughter. The Beatles are still, even though half of them are gone now, and the other two are old as hell. Elvis old, my father, you know? And, you get, and so these people, and, and, and politicians, you know, people deify Reagan and, they, and, and they, you know, uh, like JFK and, and Lincoln. and I mean, it's like ridiculous you know it's just but this is what this world does and every you know they like you know the uh, the um the in movies you know we you know we we try to deify human beings you know and they you know these people you they can't kill him you know it's like they, that's what we do you know satan pretends that he is like the big benefactor of human humanity that like he really kills cares about us he doesn't he doesn't he he'd like to see us destroy ourselves and he wants to destroy us too cuz he wants this planet for himself he thinks he looks at us as you know, on his turf, and God does Like I said, God doesn't. Satan does not like us because of that, because we're on his turf, and he knows we're going to be ruling this earth, and he doesn't like it, and he doesn't want anybody told that. It infuriates him, and he's rageful. So we see that this second prophetic, prophetic statement in Daniel eleven thirty six corresponds. If you look at if you look at the passage in in your uh, Bibles again, Daniel eleven thirty six, it says. He says, uh, the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. And he will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. Now the second prophetic statement in that verse corresponds to the prophetic statements in Daniel 9.27 and 2 Thessalonians 2.4 and Revelation 13 verses 14 And 15, that the Antichrist will deify himself. So this second prophetic statement in Daniel 11.36 is actually the second time that the book of Daniel prophesies that the Antichrist will deify himself. So let's take a quick perusal. Let's go over to, uh, let's go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Look at verse 1. Daniel chapter seven, verse one. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each from the others, came out of the sea. And the sea is again uh, depicting, as we saw it, with the back of chapter three, the Gentile nations. And so these four great beasts are four great world empires Babylon, the first one, Medo-Persia that followed it, Alexander's Greek, Greece, and then the Roman Empire, and the final stage of the Roman Empire with the ten horns and the little horn on the fourth beast is the final stage of the Roman Empire under Antichrist. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted up from the ground so that it stood on a feet like a, two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. That's Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar in particular. And there before me was a second beast, Medo-Persia, which looked like a bear, it was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. I, it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked in there before me was another beast, Alexander the Great's Greek Empire, that looked like a leopard. And that's a great way to characterize his empire. They, they conquered with lightning quick speed that the world had never seen at that time. And uh, they invented the Blitzkrieg. And on its back, it had, had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads. Okay, these are four generals, and it was given authority to rule. After that, my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, turns out to be Rome, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had a large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts in that it had ten horns, and that's the final stage of the Roman Empire, ten horns, ten nations, ten kings. European, they're, in the, they're in where the Roman Empire came out of, it's Europe. Okay, And so he says, while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, that's the Antichrist. Three of the first horns were uprooted before it. Revelation talks about him destroying three of these nations. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place. In the ancient of days the father took a seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool, and his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were open. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words of the the horn was speaking the Antichrist, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. And in my vision at night, I looked in there before me was one like a son of man, Jesus, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, the Father, and was led into his presence. That's the session of Jesus Christ where he is now at the right hand of the Father. So that's been fulfilled in history. He was given authority Glory and sovereign power, all peoples, nations, and men of every language worshiped him. This will be during the millennial reign. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. It's an angel he's talking to. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, Rome, which was different from all the others and most terrifying. With its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled on foot whatever was left. Nobody ruled the world like them, the Romans, over a thousand, for about a thousand years, okay? None of these other empires preceding it came close, I also want to know about the Ten Horns, the final stage of the Roman Empire, the United States of Europe, and about the horn that came up, the Antichrist, before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. That's why I take you to this passage. He speaks boastfully against God. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. At the second advent, the father sending his son to start the kingdom on earth, coming back with us and the elect angels, Old Testament saints, and tribulation martyrs. He gave me this explanation. The angel did. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom, Rome. That will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth. That's exactly what Rome did, trampling it down and crushing it. Ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the early ones, and he will subdue three kings. He will speak, speaking of the Antichrist, he will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and laws. He's doing, trying to do away with the law. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, a year, times, two years, half time. Add it together, three and a half years. 1260 days, the last three and a half years of the 70th week. But that's the first time it's mentioned in Scripture. But the court will set, the Supreme Court of Heaven, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Now, so notice, God is in control of all the tyrants and all the leaders of history. They have their time and they'll leave. They raise them, he raises them up and he sends them away. Look at history. So I, I never get too distra- upset about certain things. You know, even if another Hitler came about, guess what? He's going to go too eventually. And We, gotta, we got something to be worse than Hitler, Antichrist. He'll, he has his time and then he'll be done. And then... We, live for, we reign forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints. The people of the Most High, His kingdom, will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey, obey Him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Uh, look at uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. We're going to jump around a little bit. I'm taking you these passages because, as I said in my point here on the board, I could show it to you, the second prophetic statement in Daniel 11.36 corresponds to the prophetic statements in Daniel 9.27, 2 Thessalonians 2.4, Revelation 13, verses 14 and 15, that the Antichrist will deify himself. So, uh, let's look at Daniel 9.27. It says, he, the Antichrist, the ruler from the people... Who will come to destroy the city of Jerusalem and the and the sanctuary? Who will turn out to be the Romans? So he's this ruler is from these people that destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 A.D. The Romans. That's the antichrist. He's a Roman Gentile. He will confirm a covenant with the many for one seven, the great ones in the Hebrew, the Israelite military and political leaders. In the middle of the seven, of uh, the seven, the three and a half years into it, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end of his decree is poured out on him. Plural abominations, again, Antichrist sits down in the rebuilt Jewish temple and proclaims himself God. Look at Second Thessalonians now. Go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So the, the two abominations, the Hebrew's plural, most of the modern translations have plural abominations in Daniel 9.27, For some reason the NIV doesn't. Okay. So one is the Antichrist sits down in the rebuilt temple between the, in the on the Ark of the Covenant that'll be rebuilt. And he'll sit between there, the cherubim. Okay, with one, representing the righteousness and justice of God, the holiness of God, looking down on the mercy seat, which is a picture of Christ at his cross. And the, the Ark of the Covenant is overlaid with gold, wood overlaid with gold, speaking of the, you know, the humanity is the wood and the gold is depicting the, the uh, deity of Christ. So it's speaking of the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ. By the way, in the Millennial Temple, Ezekiel 40 to 48, that those chapters, there's no Ark of the Covenant, why? because the picture of the Ark of the Covenant is the picture of Christ and his finished work on the cross. So he'll be there in the Millennial Temple. So what do we need the Ark for? We get the real deal. So we see that the other one is the false prophet builds an image about the, of the Antichrist and makes it come to life and demands the world worship it. So he's, be, so that he's, he's being deified in those two ways, okay? So as Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians 2.1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become uneasily settled, unsettled, or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. What, the period that we're talking about now, the tribulation period. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. And now he's going to describe what that rebellion is in the following uh, statements. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Now here's where the rebellion occurs. He leads a rebellion of the human race against God during the 70th week of Daniel. He will oppose and exalt himself above everything that is called God or is worship. Nobody in history has ever done that. Okay? No political or military ruler has ever done this. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Go now to Revelation 13. Look at verse 1. Revelation 13.1 Revelation thirteen one, And the dragon... Satan stood on the shore of the sea. See again depicting uh, the Gentile nations. Unregenerate. I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and each had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. On one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound. Now, you go further in the chapter, it's talking about the Antichrist now because kings and kings, kingdoms and kings, merged together in Revelation, and and Daniel. Okay? One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed, and the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast who could make war against him? Now, Daniel eleven thirty six to 45 tells you, He's, a, he's, he's an incredible conqueror. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months, three and a half years, times, times, and a half time. That's what it's equivalent to, 42 months, according to Jewish reckoning of time. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints, we saw that in Daniel 7, and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. That's absolute power. And all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all those who, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. The book of life is uh, everybody at, in eternity past was in the book of life because God desires all people to be saved. Christ died for all people, unlimited atonement. Uh, the minute when you, if you uh, believe in Jesus Christ in your lifetime or in the Old Testament, you believe in the Lord God, the creator, you, you were in the book of life. And so that means you're, you're gonna, you have eternal life, you'll live with God forever. If you reject Jesus Christ, or in the Old Testament, you rejected the God of Israel, the, creation, the creator, before the nation of Israel. And if you do that, and you die in that state, your name is taken out of the book of life, and it's in the book of works, okay? So he says uh, in verse nine, he who has an ear, let him hear if anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword, he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He, that's, of course, uh, speaking of the false prophet. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Well, we'll be talking about this in the next couple of weeks as well, the false prophet. He exercised all the authority of the first beast, the antichrist, on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, Antichrist, whose fatal wound had been healed. See how they merged the kings and the kingdoms merged together there? So now we know definitively what the fatal wound was. It had to be a human being that he's talking about there. So that fatal wound of this person has been healed. He's been raised from the dead. And he performed great miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given great power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. So let's move on. Go to Daniel 11.36 and we'll close. Daniel eleven thirty six. The king will do as he pleases. He'll exalt and magnify himself above every god, and will say unheard of things against the God of gods, and he'll be successful until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined must take place. So, we see that the third prophetic statement, and Daniel eleven thirty six, continues to describe the character and actions of this unique king, whom we know as the Antichrist. The first prophetic statement reveals that this unique king will have achieved absolute power for himself militarily and politically. The second, as we saw, reveals that as a result of this power, he will exalt himself so that he'll magnify himself above every deity. Now, based upon a comparison of the prophetic statements in Daniel 7 Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians 2 and Revelation 13, we can conclude that the first prophetic statement in Daniel eleven thirty six 36, that a unique king will do according to his desire is a prophecy of the Antichrist, absolute power over the world during the last three and a half years of the 70th week. The second prophetic statement in verse 36 of chapter 11 corresponds to the prophetic statements in Daniel 9, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, Revelation 13, 14, and 15, that the Antichrist will deify himself. And the third prophetic statement in verse 36 of Daniel chapter 11 corresponds to the prophetic statements recorded in Daniel 7, 8, 20, and 25. That's why I took you these passages. And Revelation 13 verses 5 and 6. Because these passages, as we just read, reveal that the Antichrist will issue statements against God. So the fourth and final prophetic statement reveals that this wicked king who's coming in the future who will oppose God, will succeed until the righteous indignation related to the end is completed, because that which has been decreed by God must take place in history. So, as we close, since we've already determined that this wicked king is the Antichrist, we can conclude that this righteous indignation related to the end is referring to the last three and a half years of the 70th week of Daniel, and that corresponds to the prophecy in Daniel 7.25, which we just read, which also prophesies that the Antichrist will issue statements against God and will persecute God's people for three and a half years. So the righteous indignation of God, as we close, what is that? You see the word wrath in the Bible, God's wrath. What is that wrath? Well, God's wrath is the expression of his holiness, uh, it's, uh, it expresses righteous, it's his righteous indignation. What I mean by that, he's justified in his anger against sin and idolatry and those who oppose him, okay, that he created. It's legitimate anger to sin. Jesus demonstrated this in the temple. When the Herod's temple, he threw the money changers out because his zeal for the Lord has consumed me and he was fulfilling pro- prophecy there. Why? Because he had a legitimate anger toward their sinning and turning the temple, which was supposed to be a house of prayer, and turning it into a den of thieves. It's like when I went out that day, not to, not to try to compare myself to Jesus, obviously, but, man, I was ticked off. When I saw those guys get drunk out in the back and had needles there, and I saw a couple out there and they're drinking, I threw them right off the ground. I said, I don't care. Get out of here. I said, you want to come to church, great. But this is a place where we worship Jesus. This is not going to be a den. I told them, this is not a den of drug addicts and alcoholics. And if I have offended anybody... Good, I hope so. Get out of here. We're not going to put up with this garbage here. This is a place where we worship him, and that's to me—that's love. I care about them. Like I said, they're wasting their lives away. But you know, I have had people, um, alcoholics, recovered alcoholics. They they were terrible for years, and then they quit it. Okay, one guy I know, a good friend of mine, he's now home with the Lord. He 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 quit it cold turkey. He said he woke up one day and he was in a pig pen. It's like pigs can kill you, you know. So uh, as like so, so, righteous indignation. You know, you see something. Some of some you don't feel guilty with if you if you get upset. You can be careful about this stuff, you know. The things that go on, the policies that we talk about going on in the country, and the thing like this thing in Massachusetts where they're giving migrant people who are not paying taxes, and we giving them—they're giving them debit cards with ten grand in each thing. I mean, this is going on in Massachusetts. Where else would it be in Massachusetts? Taxachusetts, right? Everything. Everybody's filing out of their businesses and everything. And you get the, that makes me angry because there are people who are working hard and paying taxes. What are we giving this away here? I'm all for. You know, like the, Rand Paul, I like he, he goes, he goes, he goes. Uh, I'm all for immigration, beautiful, but do it legally. I mean, that's how my forefathers had to do. Come and do it illegally. That makes me upset when people do. Oh, don't, they don't obey the law, and they think we have this. Uh, there's two sets of rules: one for the people to pass, and now for these people, these poor people. You know, but they—you know, gotta learn. You—you know, you you have to pass. You gotta do go to Ellis Island. We used to be able to go through that, right? Not anymore. So just—that makes me angry. It makes a lot of people angry, and you should be angry. That's not right. They ain't paying taxes, okay? They're not doing. They're not working. These people are sitting there and they're just mooching off the system. And they—you know those people who just are so gullible that they just, you know, just ship them out and let them come back in legally. You know. But, you know, they're not going to do that until there's something else happens, a change of power or something. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen. Righteous indignation, we're angry about that. We should be. That's justified anger. Okay? God, the difference between, with God's righteous indignation, the difference between righteous indignation and anger is that the form of righteous indignation is based upon concern for the holiness of God, whereas the latter is emotional, selfish, self-centered, Vindictive and intent on harming another. Now you know how you how you maintain that righteous indignation. If you're upset of something, it should be because you know God's word and you know. Like for instance, Paul says in Second Thessalonians chapter three. I remember the COVID thing, and everybody's you know all these people were not work and in I had friends say, "Boy, they they giving you so much money, you know, for uh, during this whole thing." And a lot of people not going back to work. And I said, "You know what Paul said? You know, you don't work, you don't eat." So, it makes me upset when these people are getting a free ride and you're not helping them in any, and you're just giving it to them, handing it to them, this money, taxpayers' dollars. Where are they getting this money? Taxpayers' dollars. That's not right. Okay? It's just not right. It's, it's, it's insanity. So, the Word of God says that's wrong. So, I'm upset when our country is doing stupid things like that, as we described. So, God's righteous indignation is the legitimate anger towards evil and sin, since both are contrary. To his holiness, a perfect character and nature. In fact, God's righteous indignation expresses his holiness and the completion of this righteous indignation of God in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will take place at the second advent of Christ when he puts down all of his enemies with his righteous indignation and no more God. Hey, look, at it. this is a terrible time we're living in, right? But guess what? Good times are coming, okay? When this kingdom will be on the earth and things will be done the right way, you know, there'll be a death penalty. You go against, you commit capital crime, you're executed. You know, the Lord executes you. You don't, you don't work, guess what? You don't eat. There's going to be no free ride. There's going to be no communism. There's going to be no socialism. And that's what we got to look forward to. But in the meantime, we're at war. At least we got to leave a mark for the Lord and maybe snatch again. As I always say, more people from the fire. A fire that we were in danger of at one time till the Lord saved us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that this lesson be a great blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, for giving us encouragement through your word. We know that there are troubling times right now, but we also know that you have everything in control, and we just thank you for that, Father. We thank you so much that everything is in control, and you'll never leave us or forsake us. So, Father, we pray for this lesson be a great encouragement and blessing to you people. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Same.